here in just a few minutes, we're going to be looking at uh, two specific <coughs> psalms. If you'd like to go ahead and find your way there, they're going to be Psalm 1 and Psalm uh, 42. So if you want to mark Psalm 1 and then mark Psalm 42, if you have a phone that you're looking up on, you can't do that. But uh, it is, uh, you just need to know, we're going to go look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 42. Uh, so I just want you to be ready uh, for those two psalms. There once was a little league coach who was trying to motivate his team. At one point during the game, game, the coach said to one of his young players, do you understand what cooperation is, what a team is? The little boy nodded in the affirmative. Do you understand what, that, that what matters is whether we win together as a team? The little boy nodded again, yes. And so the coach continued, when a strike is called or you're out at first, you don't argue or curse or attack the umpire. Do you understand all that? Again, the little boy nodded. Yes, he understood. Good, said the coach. Now go over there and explain it to your mother. <laughs> Sometimes we have trouble keeping our emotions in check. When I was a, a teaching Bible in a Bible school and, and a youth pastor and and uh, coaching on the side, uh, I had trouble keeping my emotions in check. It's one of the reasons I quit coaching because I find myself getting, you know, frustrated or, or something, and I yell out of wrath. And, and uh, if you've ever been to a ball game, you know exactly what that's like. Several years ago, I was reading something by John Piper, and I came across this line that has stuck with me ever since. He said, "Your emotions are to be your gauge." and not your guide. In other words, your emotions should tell you how you feel about certain things, but they, your emotions uh, should not be totally relied on for your actions. How much thought have you given to your emotions? Perhaps you're thinking, this is Father's Day. Why are we having a message on emotions. Why in the world are we having this message? Well, here's the deal. I've, I've served as a student pastor for over 20 years, and, and now I've served as a pastor for just over eight years. And you know what I found? There's not a whole lot of difference between students and adults. Both have a tendency to be controlled by their emotions. And I can tell you that many of the problems that we face are not only issues that are dealing with sin, but many times the problems that we face are because we allow our emotions, our emotions, to rule our lives. And it's whether you're a teen or whether you're an adult or even a child. This isn't just for girls or women, but it's for boys and men as well. We tend to wrongly think that emotional issues are just girl problems, and they're not just girl problems. Men have the same problems. Fly into fits of rage. Don't know how to handle a situation. So they gossip and backbite and start problems when they shouldn't start problems. And we try to act like, like only women do that kind of thing. No! Men do it as well. Think about this. Do you know anyone that's had an eating disorder? 
Or maybe you know someone who is cutting or they're obsessed with putting themselves through pain to deal with their problems or anyone who's had thoughts of suicide. Maybe you've even had thoughts of suicide or depression has ruled your life. Those are all emotional type issues. Do you think our emotions are from God? Yeah, they are. God's given us our emotions. They're not evil. Sometimes we think that, that, well, emotions are just bad. We even use emotions negatively, right? Perhaps you grew up hearing things like, real men don't cry. Our emotions are directly wired into what we believe and what we value. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Take just a few minutes and think about a social injustice that makes you angry. Just what is one social injustice that makes you angry? Think about that in your head. Perhaps it's uh, when you see racial injustice, or maybe when you see economic injustice, or maybe when you see like income gap problems, or maybe when you see hunger and food insecurity, or maybe even ageism, or it's healthcare, uh, injustice in healthcare. Or perhaps instead of angry, maybe there's some things that make you sad. Maybe it's abortion or child abuse. Maybe it's human rights not being equal for all people. You see, our emotions, when we get angry or upset or sad, when we, when we see what we think is an injustice or something that is not right, it tells us what we actually value. However, those emotions that we feel should be a gauge for us and not a guide for us. They should report to us that we are feeling a certain way. But they should not dictate our actions. So I'd ask that if you're willing and able this morning, would you please stand out of respect for God's word as we read Psalm 1 and Psalm 42. Psalm 1 and Psalm 42. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Psalm 1. The way of the righteous and the wicked. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and the leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. 
By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me. They say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, take your word and penetrate it deep into our hearts. Expose us. Oh God, we would examine our hearts today. We'd ask ourselves if we are truly relying on you or other things. Speak to us this morning for your servants are hearing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I found this little poem called The Dash Out. There was once a dash out so long he hadn't any notion how long it took to notify his tale of an emotion. And so it happened while his eyes were full of woe and sadness. His little tale went wagging on because of previous gladness. Oh, that we would understand the gladness that we have from Christ. And not allow anything to destroy that. So the sermon in a sentence that I believe the scripture teaches us is that our emotions should be a gauge of how we are feeling, but not, a, not guide us into action based solely on emotion. I'm going to use four points to prove this this morning. First, we will see that scripture speaks of emotions. Secondly, we will see that sin and Satan has access to our emotions. Thirdly, we will ask, what are we to do with our emotions? And lastly, I'm going to look at six ways to respond to our emotions. First, let's see that Scripture speaks of emotions. Scripture speaks of emotions. Psalm 37, verse 4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight is an emotion. What are we told to delight in? Well, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. And so we're told, hey, here's this emotion. Delight yourself in the Lord. Secondly, Luke 12, 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What's the emotion in the verse? Fear. It's pretty evident, right? So we are to fear something. What are we to fear? Or who are we to fear? We are to fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Who has the only authority to cast into hell? The Lord. Who are we to fear? We are to fear the Lord. Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. One of my favorites. Outdo one another in showing honor. The emotion is affection. We're supposed to love one another with this brotherly love. 
So it's, it's talking about believers. As believers, we are to love each other with brotherly love. So we should treat one another with this love. And then it says we outdo one another in showing honor. What does that look like? How do we outdo someone in showing honor? Can you imagine that? I honor you. No, I honor you. No, I honor you. No, I honor you. You know what? How does that look that we're supposed to honor others more than we honor ourselves? Psalm 37 8. <laughs> Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. The emotion is anger, and we're told to stay away from it. Refrain from anger. Any of you ever struggled with anger? It says refrain from. Psalm 511. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. So we have this emotion of joy. Joy. We can't forget about the whole book of Lamentations, right? Its very title means passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's lamenting. Over and over in an entire book. So emotion, listen, emotion is used throughout all of Scripture. We, we see, find it all through Scripture. And so we can't say, well, emotions, they, they must be from the devil. No, God has given us our emotions and we find this all through God's word. Secondly, I want us to notice this. Sin and Satan have access to our emotions. Sin and Satan have access to our emotions. We have this slight problem because emotions are wired into every single one of us. Uh, uh, and every single one of us has this fallen and sinful nature. And so sin and Satan has access to our emotions. Now, it's important to understand, Satan cannot read your mind. He can't do that. A lot of times we, we give Satan more power than he has. He can't read your mind. And Satan can't force you to do whatever he wants. Right? You don't get to say, oh, well, the devil made me do it. No! You did it. But you know what he has access to? Our emotions. And you know what Satan is really good at? Manipulation. This is why we have an emotional response to temptation. When we're faced with temptation. That's why we have this emotional response, right? We try to justify it. You know how we try, try to justify it when, when we're faced with temptations? We say things like this. I need. I have to. When we should be saying, I want. Or I'm being told to. But, no, I need to. And Satan manipulates us. And when we do this, we make emotions our boss. But they're not supposed to be our boss. They are simply gauges to show us how we feel. And that is why Paul writes to us, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This is also why 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Satan comes along and he makes promises he can't keep or threats he can't follow through on. 
He finds where you are weak and he knows where your emotions are going and where they're going in the wrong direction and he comes in and he taps into it. And so what often happens is we give in and we allow ourselves to be ruled by our emotions. Because Satan has access to it. He knows how you feel. Thirdly, the third thing I want us to see this morning I know some of you are thinking, man, he's going fast. Well, these next two are longer. So, thirdly, what are we to do with our emotions? What are we to do with our emotions? If, if, we, if we say, well, you know, the Bible tells us that we have emotions, and Satan and sin has access to them, what are we to do with them? So, so we want to answer that question. What do we do when we're angry or sad or depressed? Well, I want us to see some scripture this morning. So, so that's why I wanted us to read Psalm 1. But I also want us to see some depression in God's Word and how to handle it. I think it goes beyond depression, though. I believe this goes for any type of emotion that we allow to get a foothold in our life. And now, before moving on, I want to make it clear that there's a difference between emotion and depression that is spiritual, that stems from a spiritual problem, and that which comes from a physical or biological problem. If it's a spiritual problem, God's Word gives us counsel. If it's a physical or biological problem, God's Word still provides counsel to us, but we may need to actually seek medical counsel. And so we need to keep that distinction in mind. I'm not one of these guys that's like, well, every, all this emotion, this is just because of sin in your life. That's not always the case. Honestly, I could teach a couple years just going through the Psalms. Maybe that should have been one of the things that we looked at. And just walk straight through them. Because they're filled with emotion. Anger, guilt, fear. Calling down curses. However, I want us to look at these two psalms that we read. And we're going to expound them just a little bit. Often we think scripture is silent on many of these subjects. But it's not silent. The first psalm was Psalm 1. I want to reread it to you. Listen to the emotion that we find here. Blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like a shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The, psalm get, the psalms give us a ton of interaction about who God is and how we are to handle things and how God handles things. And they tell us a lot about who we are and our life here on earth. We learn so much from just reading the Psalms. Now, I know we already made this reference to Psalm 1 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Another word for law is Torah. It has a meaning in this general sense. It means instruction. So that what we have right here at the beginning of the book of Psalms is some guidance. It's saying to us, this is God's instruction to you. So take this instruction and meditate on it. 
Now, what are psalms? They're songs or poems. That's what the word psalms means. They're meant to be sung or read as poetry. Have you ever uh, heard a song or read a poem that stirs up emotion in you? Have you ever heard a song and you just start crying? Because it stirs up, it grips your emotion. For sure, we've all probably had that happen. Unless you're just a robot or something, I don't know. Maybe, are any of you guys robots? Anyway, so when you read through the Psalms, you have to read them for what they are. They're songs and poetry. They express emotion. So, so I did some research and I found this dealing with Psalms and emotion. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a lot here, so don't, don't write it down. And if you really want it, you can ask me for it later. Uh, or if you are able to take fast notes, because I'm not going to just be like slowly go over this list. But I want, to, I want you to see the emotion in the Psalms. We have the emotion of loneliness. I am lonely and afflicted. Psalm 25, 16. We have the emotion of love. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 18, 1. We have this emotion of all. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 33, 8. We have an emotion of sorrow. My life is spent with sorrow. Psalm 31, 10. We have regret. I am sorry for my sin. Psalm 38, 18. We have contrition. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. We have discouragement and turmoil. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Psalm 42, 5. We have shame. Shame has covered my face. Psalm 44, 15. We have exaltation in your salvation. How greatly he exalts in Psalm 21.1. We have marveling. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118.23. We have delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1.2. We have joy. You have put more joy in my heart than we have in their grain and wine abound. Psalm 4.7. We have gladness. I will be glad and exult in you. Psalm 9.2. We have fear. Serve the Lord with fear. Psalm 2.11. We have anger. Be angry and do not sin. Psalm 4.4. We have peace. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. Psalm 4.8. We have grief. My eye wastes away because of grief. Psalm 6.7. We have desire. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. Psalm 10.17. We have hope. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Psalm 33.22. We have brokenheartedness. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34.18. We have gratitude. I will thank you in the great congregation. Psalm 35.18. We have zeal. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Psalm 69.9. We have pain. I am afflicted in pain. Psalm 69.29. We have confidence. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Psalm 27.3. <sighs> All through the Psalms. Geared toward our emotion. That's why people read them. Now, all that said, let's quickly turn our attention to this psalm real fast. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now notice that he says, he doesn't just say, Hey folks, don't sin. Whatever you do, don't sin. But rather he says, get this, he gives these actions, right? He says, walking, standing, and sitting. 
Now, perhaps you wonder, why does he do that? Well, I believe he does this because it's about influence. He is saying, do not be influenced by the wicked, the sinner, or the scoffer. And the point is, is this. Remember that what we said about verse 2 where he said, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist is making this comparison here. Do not allow yourself to be influenced by the wicked, by the sinner, and by the scoffer. But you need to be influenced by what? You need to be influenced by the Word of God. Let me just say, you know why we sometimes walk with the wicked, and we stand with the sinner, and we sit with the scoffer? You know why we do that? You know why we entertain sin in our life and why, why we're just like, okay, well, I'll stand here. I'll sit here. I'll be a part of this. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. It's really easy. Because we want to. Plain and simple. Because we want to. Because we've been watching them so closely that, that what they do has become attractive to us. And we, we have meditated on them for so long, we now want to do what they're doing. And so there's this progression here. It starts with just kind of looking. You're walking by. But soon, you intently gaze and think about it so much that you want it. So now you find yourself not just walking by, but now you're standing there with the wicked. And you want it so bad that you can taste it. And now you find yourself being influenced by them because you're sitting in their midst. And now you become just like the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. That's the whole point of the song. But there's a better way. Because when you meditate on God's word, and you delight in it, you're like this tree that's planted in the water, and you bear fruit. And when you're being influenced by God's word, your roots go so deep into the water that even others that are barren, are, are, they see this. They see this tree that's bearing fruit. But here's the thing. It's not easy, right? It's not easy to bear fruit. It doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one morning. Oh, look at me. I'm a beautiful tree bearing fruit. There's effort. Bible study, prayer. It takes work. But when you're working on meditating on the Lord, the result is delight. But it's a battle. It's a constant battle. You know why it's a constant battle? Because there's always going to be the wicked. There's always going to be the sinner. There's always going to be the scoffer. They will always be there and they will always fight for your attention. But when you meditate on God's instruction, you will win the battle and you will have the delight. If you want to take control of your emotions, you have to surrender to God's interaction with you. You have to take some time and you have to read your scripture. Read through the Psalms. Let the word help you. Now quickly I want to share with you this, this other psalm that we read. Psalm 42. I want to read it again just like I did the first one. As the deer listen for the emotion. As the deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you. Oh God my soul thirsts for God for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. They say to me all day long where is your these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how it would go with the throng and lead them in this procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Depressing. It's depressing. Think of everything going on. Verse 3. Enemies say to me all day long, Where's your God? Verse 10. Same thing, only it describes the effects as a deadly wound, as with a deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? They taunt, Where's your God at? It's as if God has abandoned me. This is serious. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? In verse 3, he says, My tears have, have been my food day and night. He's so discouraged to the point of crying day and night. And he says his tears have been his food. Have you ever been so deep in sorrow that you do not eat or drink? You just you, you don't know what to do. You just sit there and you cry so deeply that the tears run down your eyes and into your mouth. Verse 7, he says that it feels like he's drowning. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me, God. This is serious depression, serious emotion to go through. Look at verse 5 and verse 11, verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Remember how he said emotions are a gauge, not a guide. The psalmist sees he's depressed. He sees it serious. And the psalmist is making every effort to fight back. I can't tell you how many times as a youth pastor and as a pastor I've been discouraged. I can't tell you how many times I felt alone and that no one cared, that I had no friends, that it was all too hard, that the pain was not worth the fight. I can't tell you how many times I heard the voice of the evil one pull up beside me and whisper into my ear, just give up. None of it's worth it. Just quit. Just stop. However, I would hear the voice of my Savior crying out to me, your hope is in me. I had to realize that these are emotions. They would pass. I recently had a pastor friend tell me, you always tell yourself every single day that you will quit tomorrow. You never quit today. You quit tomorrow. And when those dark clouds close in around us, and when our circumstances cause our emotions to begin to control us, we must fight for hope. Lastly, notice this. How do we respond to our emotions? <coughs> Quickly, I'm going to give you six things. Six quick ways we can respond to our emotions as the psalmist did. First, we can ask God why. We can ask God why. Look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? The psalmist is saying, God, it looks like you've forgotten all about me. God, if you were on my side, then these 
that I'm facing. They, they would have been driven back away from me, but they're not. Now, I think when we're emotional, there are times we just say things that we don't mean a lot of times. And I don't think the psalmist really felt that God had totally forgotten him. But nevertheless, he, he had this feeling. Like, God, where are you? truth of the matter is we may say things like this to God at times. And perhaps you've heard someone say, oh, well, you never question God. Don't, don't ever ask Him why. Job did. You know what it got him? God spanned into these chapters. Where were you, Job, when I created the heavens and the earth and the sky and I told the water how far it can go? It's okay to ask God why. No, everything we say may not always be theologically correct or precise. I believe it's okay, like this psalmist, at times to say, God, why? Why did this happen? And you may not ever get the answer, or you may not like the answer, but it's okay. Secondly, affirm God's sovereign love. Affirm God's sovereign love. Look at verse 8. By, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In verse 5 and 11, He calls God my salvation and my God. Now look at verse 7 where He says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And notice what He says to God. Your, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. He, the, he acknowledges that everything that He's going through is from God. And one of the hardest things to do in the middle of troubled times is to acknowledge that God is in control. Because you know why it's so hard? Because it doesn't feel like He's in control. That in the middle of your circumstance that God is still in control. Jesus is still on the throne. And His love for you will never change. It's not based upon you or your circumstances based upon His love for you. Thirdly, we sing. We sing. Verse 8, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Notice this song is not what we think when singing, right? It's not some joyful song necessarily where we're, we're clapping our hands and we're stomping our feet and we're like, oh yeah, it's not, it's not that. The song is much more reflective. It's a song pleading for His life. So when I say you're going through emotions, take time to sing. Find a hymn book. Find a song that deals with your issue. And take time just to sing to God. Fourthly, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. You might want to be alone when you do this. It's a side note, okay? Otherwise, you might get committed to a mental institution. But I'm just saying Preach to yourself. Verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. And you may think it's silly, but so often we believe a lie because we don't preach to ourselves the truth. Sometimes we allow our thoughts to run rampant and do nothing. And we sit there and we think about what went wrong and what I did yesterday. And what, what happened last week and what happened last year. And sometimes we need to audibly speak to ourselves. Speak truth to yourself. Maybe we say something like this. Self, what then shall I say to these things? If God is for me, who can be against me? He did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for me. 
For how will he not also with him graciously give me all things? Who shall bring any charge against me, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for me? Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Romans 8, 31-35. Preach God's word to yourself. Fifthly, remember your past experience. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festivals? Look what he is specifically remembering, this corporate worship experience. That is why the church is so important. That's why it's important for you to go to church and be a part of the church and come and sing corporately with the church and pray corporately with the church. That's why it is so important. That's why it's important for you to go into worship expecting that you're going to hear from God every time that you step foot into this building. God, what are you going to say to me? God, I'm anticipating and expecting you to speak to me through the proclamation of your word and through the singing. I'm not expecting to be entertain God. Speak to me. So go into church asking God what he's going to teach you in that day. Church is serious. There's so much at stake. And those encounters with God help you in those times when your emotion tries to rule your life. Lastly, sixthly, thirst for God. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for you. The living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Do you see what he thirsts for? He's not thirsting for a way out. He's not even thirsting for relief from his circumstances. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting relief or to ask God for it, but more important than any relief that you could ever seek. More importantly than all that is God. We must thirst for God. We must thirst to know God more. Thirst to experience God more. And then all those things that are our problems fade into the backgrounds. And our emotion is put into check because God becomes what we are thirsting for. And then we are seeking to please God. When you sense your emotions taking you in the wrong direction, remember it's a gauge for you. It's not a guide to follow. Let those emotions show you that you are weak and where Satan is attacking you so you know how to fight it. And then go and find a close friend and ask them for prayer and help if need be. Then perhaps you follow these steps, these six steps I outlined here. Put your emotions in check. It's just like in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, Part 3, The Return of the King. Everything seems hopeless. Gandor has been invaded by the Dark Lord Sauron and his, Emmy, and his army of orcs. The siege of Citadel minus Tirith is about to be underway. And on the eve of the great battle of their time, there stands the white wizard Gandalf and the hobbit Pippin. They're looking out into the darkness. 
They have this following exchange. Tell me, Pippin said, is there any hope? Gandalf puts his hand on Pippin's head. There never was much hope, he answered. Just a fool's hope. Gandalf the White, the hero, says there's only a fool's hope. Oh, but you got to know the story. Because he's speaking to Pippin, surnamed Peregrin Took, who is constantly referred to as a fool of a Took. Hope lives on in this happy little hobbit. His, it lives on for us, for you and I, as we serve in a dark and dreary world. Look around. There may not be much hope. Oh, but we hope in Christ. We hope that, a hope that is foolish to a dying world. Our hope is is the foolishness of the cross of Christ because only a fool would hope in such humiliation. Our faith is built on what is a foolish, illogical, one-way transaction. You see the way of salvation in the reverse in the world. Our salvation is based on God's grace, not anything that we can get, do. It's where a sinner is turned into a saint. It's where the guilty is pardoned and the only sinless one is actually punished. The more we give up of ourselves, the more hope we have in Him. If you do not know Christ, I would plead with you today to declare that you have hope not in yourself, but to trust that you have hope only in Christ's salvation. And when you do that, your journey of a foolish hope begins. You will have a hope that does not rest in you, but a hope that rests in Him. Our hope in Him is confident, it's sure, it's immovable, because it rests in Him. It doesn't rest on our emotions, or what we can dream of, or what we can think of. It's resting in the firm, solid, and finished work of Jesus Christ. You can trust in Christ today. And place your hope in Him. By praying something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are God's Son and you died for forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. It's not magic. Christ saves you if you call out to Him in prayer. It's an expression of your trust in Him. If you said that prayer or something like it, I'd love to follow up with you. You can come forward. If you're online, you can text the word FAITH to 309-328-3488. You can do that in your pew. You can just send a text message there if you don't have a smartphone. You just want to send a text message. I'd love to follow up with you. Charles Spurgeon said this in closing. The more we feel our guilt, the more fit we are for mercy. The more broken down we are with hopelessness on account of our own lost estate, the more room there is for the triumphs of Christ. Church, don't let your emotions deceive you. Let them be your gauge, but not your guide. Be hopeless in yourself and place all your hope in the triumph of Jesus Christ because He is victorious. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for the Psalms. So filled with emotion. 
together. Maybe those here this morning, those that watch this later, maybe even sometime in the future, where you take your word, you pierce our heart. Perhaps we sit there and we realize our lives are ruled by emotion. Constantly finding ourselves responding emotionally to things. God, teach us it's okay to ask you why something happens. God, teach us to affirm your sovereign love that nothing can separate us from your love. God, teach us to sing in those moments, to sing out to you. God, teach us to preach to ourselves your word over us. God, teach us to remember our past experience. God, help us to be here and be a part of that experience so we can remember the past experience. God, that we would thirst for you above all so that our emotions would fade into the background. Lord, we look out. There's so much hopelessness we are a people of hope. Fool's hope. Because we know that in the end, Christ stands victorious over all. So Lord, I pray you've spoken to us this morning that we would respond to your word whether we need to make confession, whether we need to receive Christ as Savior, however you may have spoken to us this morning, that we would respond and glorify your name. I pray this in Jesus' name.